to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. This week on the podcast, we have a conversation with a real live Atlassian. We also give you some updates from around the ecosystem and meet asynchronously, synchronously or something like that. I'm your host, Ryan Spilkin, and I'm joined today by Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrell. Matthew, Brenda, always a pleasure to see you. Hi. Hey there, Ryan. So, uh, you guys doing all right? Keeping it real in lockdown? Oh, it is so real. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, there seems to be so much more virtual than before. (laughs) Time time no longer has meaning, if it ever did. Um... The days blend into each other. With it is very we're not, surreal. We're not even doing shots on this podcast, but we're definitely feeling it. <laughs> well, let's jump in with some cloud news. Get this podcast knocked out here. Uh, starting with Bitbucket uh, rolling out, um, kind of a little bit last week, a little bit this week. I'm, I'm sure it'll be one of those rollouts that hits people at different times. Bitbucket Cloud Workspaces. Uh, so it seems like everybody's switching to the word workspaces for different things these days. Slack's had workspaces. You work with Levio, they have workspaces. And now Bitbucket Cloud has them, which replace team and user accounts to provide a single default user experience. There's a blog post that explains what workspaces are that even for those of us who know Bitbucket quite intimately, we had trouble fathoming. Um, but the, the general concept is this ties all your stuff together. You look in one place and there's all your stuff. It, it reminds me a bit of the Atlassian home concept um, where for my account, I can see all my stuff in one space. But in the Bitbucket context, uh, it's uh, less about your work and more about your team's work and, and bringing that collaboration, you know, sort of front and center across all the different repos, different places you're going. At least that's what I think because it hasn't hit my account yet. So I'm not entirely positive, but that's what we could fathom from the blog. On the platform level, uh, this concept of a trusted user, I think we've talked about this a few times. It's kind of been kicking around the Elastin space for a while. It's a sort of an intermediary permission level. So you're not making somebody a full admin, but you're expressing trust in them that they can invite other users or they could install apps. But I think uh, introducing more levels like that's really helpful. Uh, it provides a little bit more granularity for the permissions to give the, the admin some, uh, some flexibility. And then last from Confluence Cloud, uh, sharing pages directly with your team. Um, so, you know, in the past, you could click share and you could put in a user and you could type in multiple users, but kind of a pain, especially if you need to select 10 or 15 or 20 of them. Uh, now you can do it to group. Uh, I assume it's group. They're using the word team instead of group, but I assume you're you're sharing to like a confluence group that denotes a team and, and it will send a notification to them. So uh, love seeing that type of thing. I would love to see more use of groups. Um, especially exposed to the users because it just makes things so much faster and easier. Uh, as a side note, Service Desk added this a, a year or so ago with um, organizations. You could add a group there. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of nice uh, for sharing updates on things. Uh, so really cool to see this coming to Confluence Cloud for sharing pages with the team. And speaking of coming to Confluence Cloud, there has been a movement from Atlassian to get developers interested in the ecosystem. And a big way that they're trying to make that push happen now is by offering 95% of the revenue for new cloud apps for an entire year. Wow. So, uh, you know, this is might be a little bit of inside baseball, but when you create an Atlassian app and you sell it on the marketplace, they typically take a 25% cut of the app. 
but it's better than Apple. You know, you oh. gotta give them credit. That's, that's still pretty good. That's a pretty good share. It is. It is. It's nice. You know. But so if your app cost a dollar, you would get seventy five cents. Atlassian would keep a quarter. If your app costs yeah. a dollar, I want to know about it because I can afford that app. Now, <laughs> if, if, um, what they're doing now, though, is changing that for an entire year to where if you introduce an app on the Atlassian cloud marketplace, you're going to get 95% of the profit. So $0.05 cents to Atlassian, $0.95 cents in your pocket, live in large, buy in sodas. Um, we will, of course, include information on the program in the SoundCloud description. To bring our heads out of the clouds, let's take a look at server. Viewers at home, we last recorded a podcast on Tuesday, April 7th. On Thursday, April 9th, Atlassian announced the release beta for Confluence Server 7.4 Enterprise Edition. Oh, this is so, super exciting. So we should go, so we should go install that beta and start testing, yeah. On a server instance. Yeah. On a on a product on a non production Naturally, yes. Yeah, on a server instance, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, they they posted some information about uh, preparing for Confluence 7.4. Um, this is the first 7.x enterprise release. Uh, many customers are still on 6.13, which was the previous enterprise release. So obviously there's a number of updates. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, 7.4 was released uh, today. Um, oh. so surprise. Um, <laughs> Beta was less than two weeks, but um, yeah, so that's exciting. It's always we actually the three of us talked for a little bit before we started recording about did we did we just miss this and then we realized <laughs> it's all been announced since we last recorded. So if you are on six point thirteen, it's been about a year since uh, you've had any updates. So there's uh, improvements to search. There's changes to the way you edit attached files, um, a lot of platform improvements allowing more um, databases and um, support for other browsers and that sort of thing. Um, so there is quite a bit going on in between those releases. There are going to be a couple of links in our SoundCloud description to information that was released in when they announced the beta less than two weeks ago. Um, mm -hmm. And then in the release notes for the enterprise release 7.4. So we're a little surprised. Beta. All right, here we go. Here we go. Um, you know, to, to give it lasting credit, they must have a high degree of confidence in 7.4. And really, 7.4 is effectively a roll-up of updates yep. that have come to date. So it, it does come make sense that this could be a bit quicker. Well, yeah, you know, it does. Their, uh, their engineers have all had a lot of extra time. Like last, <laughs> like last week was a really long year, and they've just had all sorts of extra testing time. <laughs> it's true. There was like four hundred hours in the last week alone. So it's true. It's true. And I worked like um, three hundred of them. Yeah, <laughs> didn't we all? No, it's a valid point that this is effectively a roll-up, and a lot of these things have been coming out in various point releases since 6.13. Um, so while the the articles that Atlassian has put out actually feel a little thin, it's actually rolling up a year's worth of, of updates mm -hmm. that have been coming since 6.13. Um, so yeah, the, if, uh, if you're on 6.13, take a look at, um, you know, go through the preparing for Confluence 7.4 um, and be aware that it is out today and you can upgrade when you are ready. The last update that we have from Atlassian is for Portfolio for Jira. Uh, it's a, I would say minor bug, but it's, it's a, a priority medium uh, and somewhat amusing thing that slipped through the cracks. Uh, if you are a portfolio admin, but not a Jira admin, 
you can't get to the portfolio admin pages uh, through the UI. You can't click a button to get there. You can type in the URL if you knew it and you could get there. So it's not a, a permission issue. It was just, a, um, I think, a UI issue. So um, this is fixed in 3.25.0. So if you are a portfolio admin and not a Jira admin, you should ask a Jira admin to do that upgrade for you real quick and that'll help you out. <laughs> and in terms of setting up that meeting with your Jira admin, we've got a blog from Trello about asynchronous meetings that uh, as we were talking before the podcast, all three of us had different and interesting takes on this. We thought it would be good to share with you all. So of course, we'll share the blog in the show notes so you can see that in your podcast app or, or we'll have it on SoundCloud. Um, gets at that, you know, maybe not age old problem, but a problem we're all very familiar with of spending hours and tens of hours and dozens of hours in meetings that, you know, by the end of it, you sit there and you go, did we really need to meet in person? Look around the room. There's 15 of us here. How much money did we spend on this meeting? Was it really worthwhile? And so Trello's got some tips on how to use their tool for uh, having an asynchronous meeting, you know, throwing your notes at uh, an online tool to share that information and make decisions uh, without meeting in person. This is something that I've done with Confluence using the meeting notes blueprint. Uh, you don't actually have to have a physical meeting to use that that blueprint, I create a page, I tag people, they can add stuff. Sometimes we do it over Slack uh, or other tools, but um, I kind of find this helpful. Well, you know, what did you two think about uh, asynchronous meetings? Back in the day when I worked for you, Matthew, um, <laughs> way mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. in the day, you started, you you rolled down a, a, a not policy, but you, you started one-to-one boards on Trello so it's not in Jira. It's not like tracking. It's stuff that we want to talk about in our meeting. And I would put up some things like, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about this. You might have a chance to review it. And that way, when we got on the meeting, I didn't have to bring you up to speed. You already knew what was going on. A bit more focused. Yeah. More focused saves time. Yeah. I think taking that another step with your like direct reports and just having a communi- a, a threaded communication on a Trello board around specific topics and Slack conversation as well can be more productive. I've, I've seen some articles recently about the energy that's expended in Zoom. And I, you know, I find this, our session doing the podcast refreshing, but when I'm done with four like work focused Zoom meetings, I'm about ready Mm -hmm. to pass out. So, (laughs) so, and I know Brenda is suffering from that too. Yeah, my calendar is a disaster. And um, I was telling Matthew and Ryan a little bit ago, my I, I received feedback this week that it's impossible to get a meeting with me because my calendar is always so full. And um, a lot of that is one-on-one meetings. I have six direct reports and a grand total of um, right now 20 people that roll up to me. And so between weekly check-ins with my direct reports and then bi-weekly or monthly check-ins with those who request it uh, from the level below that. Um, and then check-ins with my, my boss and his boss and also with HR and with um, you know, some of the other groups that I interface with on a regular basis. Um, we counted up on my calendar and this week alone, when I had started my day yesterday on Monday, I had 22 one-on-one meetings. Um, all of those were half hour meetings. Um, but there it, it's, it's a madhouse. <laughs> it's, a, that's a lot of meetings, yeah. it's a lot of meetings. And so I very often have seven hours of zoom meetings a day. 
And um, I had been blocking off an hour for lunch because my son is home from school because of the pandemic. And I want to take time to fix him a lunch and spend a little time with him. And I've had to cut that down because people need to meet with me. And so I'm, I'm feeling a little frustrated with the state of my calendar and I've been trying to find ways to reduce meetings. And I have been removing meetings. If, if, if I have a recurring meeting and one or both of us misses three in a row, we don't need that meeting. Mm -hmm. That's sort of my rule of thumb. And as soon as I cancel one of those meetings, someone else swoops in and scoops it up. And so I've been trying to reduce the number of meetings that I have. And I had tried going to every two weeks with my direct report. So three, one week, three, the following week. And it just wasn't feeling like enough. And so we've gone back to weekly for all six. Um, So there are some things that I've been trying to do, like adding agendas, which is something that this Trello blog post talks about. Um, I've actually been using a tool called Docket, which I really like. Um, because then I have a place where I can keep track of, okay, I need to talk about so-and-so with this, I need to talk about this with that other person, that sort of thing. Um, and, and I find that it will get adopted and then abandoned and then adopted and then abandoned and then adopted and then abandoned. So I keep trying to push this, uh, but we have so many folks that just refuse to include agendas in the meetings. Um, So I I found this very interesting because there are a lot of things that really could be asynchronous that I'm doing on a a weekly basis. Um, But I also am remote and I'm the only person in Washington state and there's a pandemic and people want a little bit of interaction. And so I would not advocate for all meetings being asynchronous by any means. Um, But I will tell you right now, I'm a person who does better seeing things in writing. So for my project managers to give me an update in a bullet list in a meeting notes template, which I use all the time in Confluence, um, is actually better for me than spending an hour with each PM going over the project updates and trying to take notes. There are certainly meetings that could be asynchronous. There are certainly meetings that shouldn't be asynchronous. I, for one, plan to pour over this blog post and um, spend a little time maybe looking at some of the meetings that I do have on a recurring basis and going, can we make this asynchronous? Because, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a real challenge to balance that. And um, there's a lot of my stuff that I get done through through Slack or or um, through Jira, and we, we don't need to meet about it. Um, but sort of the flip side of that, like you said, we're during, during this pandemic, but also just with a distributed workforce. Um, one thing that I've started doing is once a month, I meet with other product managers at Adaptivist just to stay connected. And every single one of those 30 minute meetings once a month uh, bears a lot of fruit. Like it's really helpful to catch up. I had one today and found out about a project that's spinning up for the next three months that I had no idea about, uh, but my staff have to be working on. Um, <laughs> well, nobody had told me yet. Um, so like that type of thing happens pretty regularly of just like we're, you know, over 300 people now. Um, this person lives in another country. They're six hours removed from the time zone. So it's, it is helpful. Um, that says something I recommend for, for you all. I need to write an internal blog post about this to share with the rest of the devs. But a few weeks ago, I did a uh, meeting sabbatical. Uh, I was supposed to be on vacation. Vacation was canceled because of the pandemic. But I just left my calendar blank. I worked, but I took no meetings. And it was delightful. Um, I still had a few of like ad hoc things that popped up. I was still on Slack. I was still responding to email. But my calendar was clear. And I've decided to make this part of my regular routine. Once a quarter, 
I'm going to clear my calendar and take a meeting sabbatical. And I ended that week so refreshed. And I came back the following week a lot better. It, was, it wasn't really vacation, uh, but meeting sabbatical. Strong recommendation. Let's let's start a really challenge. Really good idea. Listeners, take a meeting sabbatical, as Matthew has suggested, and connect with us on social about how it treated you. I dare you. I double dog dare you. <laughs> I triple dog, double dog dare you. How many dogs is that? That's a lot of dogs. That's mm. so That's many dogs. dogs. That's how many I dare you. <laughs> so let's stop talking about dogs, and let's start talking about some bugs. <laughs> Man, that was graceful. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Recently, Atlassian has announced a bug bounty program on their marketplace. And to discuss it with us, we have Hari Belisandrum from Atlassian. Hari, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me to the podcast. A pleasure to see you. Hari, could you tell our listeners what your role is with Atlassian? Yeah, yeah, sure thing. Uh, I lead the ecosystem security team here in Atlassian. It's a it's a pretty new team. Uh, we we are primarily focused on uh, ensuring the security of our all of our marketplace apps and what our customers use and get access to through our marketplace. Uh, it's a it's a pretty small team. We are, we are what are about five people and we've been around for just well over a year now. Previously, I used to be uh, I have worked in uh, different uh, security roles across uh, different companies, uh, Box and and Ernst & Young and whatnot, and well over 10 years. And uh, I've been in the cloud space for, for quite some time now. Awesome. So, Hari, tell us a little bit about the Atlassian Marketplace Bug Bounty Program and how it works. Yeah. For, for, for viewers who, who, who do not understand what a bug bounty program is, let me just preface with, uh, with, with what a bug bounty program is. The concept of a bug bounty program is enabling crowdsourced security researchers to, to identify vulnerabilities in your applications and, uh, and uh, providing them with the opportunity to report those vulnerabilities to you and get paid for, for sort of a, getting a bounty for, for the things that they've identified. This is a pretty common uh, thing that happens in the, in the cloud space, mm. definitely, more than uh, behind the firewall or, uh, uh, or like server app, app space, I would say. And the idea is by putting yourself in front of a, a bigger crowd, you are you're sort of making yourself public and engaging with the security community to get vulnerabilities uh, so that you can harden your applications and infrastructure more over time. Uh, Atlassian has been doing this bug bounty program for, for well over three years now, and we have, we have definitely gotten a lot of value from it. That's where the marketplace bug bounty program comes into picture. We have been doing it, uh, and Atlassian has been has been uh, getting a lot of value from it. How can we enable our marketplace partners to become part of the bug bounty program and get the same benefits that we uh, that we got from bug bounty programs? So what we did was we started a bug bounty program where a marketplace partner can come and host their own apps or list their own apps in under our like like uh, bigger bug bounty program and get access to the same tools, same platform, and very similar researchers that Atlassian uh, gets access to through uh, the, the, the bug bounty platform that we use. Uh, we use something called Bug Crowd, which is a, a popular uh, bug bounty uh, hosting platform, I would say. And uh, the, the sort of interesting bit here is that for a company to start their own bug bounty program, it comes with a lot of financial, uh, financial what do you call the, uh, need to invest. So there's there yeah. the platform costs, 
there's like money they need to they put in, right? That's what we are we are stripping away from from our partners. You don't need to worry about the platform cost. All you need to worry about is just the uh, just the reward you pay out for the vulnerabilities that are identified in your applications. So you're on the hook for anything that is found in applications, and you need to pay for it based on a set criteria that you have predefined uh, for for researchers to find vulnerabilities in our apps. Is this the first year that you've you've done this for the marketplace vendors? Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, uh, we yes. Off, like back in June, so about eight months now, I would say, or close to okay. a year. And and how many uh, marketplace vendors do you have participating in the bug bounty? Yeah, currently we have about uh, twenty-two marketplace vendors participating in the bug bounty program, and about that that has come to about like seventy-five different apps in the marketplace now being part of the bug bounty program. Do, do you happen to know how many bugs have been discovered so far? Yeah, uh, I would say we are in the the, the two hundred to three hundred range uh, right now. More than the number of bugs identified, I want to call out sort of the the amount that the vendor is spending uh, per bug. Uh, we see an average of about three hundred to four hundred dollars being spent by the vendor per bug, which is a, a big value for for a vendor uh, uh, looking to find vulnerabilities in their own applications. What does a marketplace partner or uh, the customer get out of this bug bounty program? Yeah, so so the way we we look at this is for a for a partner, it's breaking the barrier, the financial barrier to to starting a bug bounty program, and to start thinking about investment in security, uh, primarily for their cloud applications. Right uh, when it comes to the cloud, when it comes to SaaS. The expectations of security are a lot different than for a, for an application that runs behind the firewall. So, so this definitely breaks the barriers uh, for a partner to start thinking about a bug bounty program, mm. which in effect provides them with the tools to interact with security researchers and uh, uh, security expertise, which they would have to shell a lot of money to get access to, like for a security consulting company or a, an internal audit company or something like that, right? So. We ideally want our partners to come on board, uh, take a, a crawl, walk, run type of an approach, right? Like where you start small, you 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 get the feel of it, and you understand what it is all about. You kind of get a the hang of a few common vulnerabilities that you get access to, and over time uh, you can expand your bounty program and increase the rewards, increase the scope, and whatnot, and eventually have a rock solid bounty program that that you can. Uh, be public about, like really talk about in public and and make available for any researcher out there in the world to report security vulnerabilities too. So that's for the the partner aspect of things. Uh, for a customer, uh, this this ideally provides them the signal that that the vendor is 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 in, is, is serious about security, right? Uh, they can ask for reports that have been of bugs that have been identified through the boundary programs. They can understand because these partners are essentially making uh, their apps available for folks to hack on. They can understand the the risk posture uh, or the the type of risks that come with uh, with using these apps in the first place, right? So they can get some level of confidence. Uh, uh, on on the apps that have been put through the rigor of a bounty program for for a, for a period of time, uh, this alone is not going to satisfy a customer. Like I mean, like like many other things, there is going to be other things that a customer would want. Uh, but this is a very good first step to to get the confidence of a customer and and, and show them that uh, it, the the vendor the partner 
uh, thinks about Sakara seriously. So word on the street, and by street, I mean this Zoom call before we started recording. And the internet. Uh, is, and the internet is there's uh, a bug bounty blitz coming up. Uh, what is that? What's that blitz exactly? Like what's different about that? And, and when will we be seeing that? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> so one of the common concerns we have gotten when we reached out to vendors to come on board to the bounty program is that the fear of the unknowns, right? Like, hey, this is a big financial barrier for us. Uh, uh, what if I, a, a, there is a lot of vulnerabilities in our apps and we are not prepared to pay that much, that amount of money? We don't know what a bug bounty program is. Uh, how do we even get started with something that we, we are not sure how it will pan out, right? So the, the general fear of the unknowns, uh, uh, and this is what we are trying to address to the, to the bounty blitz. So the marketplace bounty blitz is a what I call a free trial of the bounty program itself and a free security test of the applications that are participating in the bounty blitz. So the, the concept behind is Atlassian will, will pay both for the platform fee and for the bugs identified in the applications for a period wow. of like four to six weeks. We are still figuring out uh, uh, what is a good timeline for this, I would say. Uh, for, for, for a period of four to six weeks. And essentially for the marketplace partner, they don't need to spend a dime uh, to be part of the bounty goods for that period of four to six weeks. But like anything that comes free, there's a catch. The partner has to sign up to come on board to the bounty program for a period of 12 months after the blitz completes. Uh, there is also other sort of requirements to be part of the bounty blitz. Uh, like for example, yeah. you need to, be available to triaging the vulnerabilities. You need to have a response SLA. You need to other to security requirements, uh, other to security SLAs when it comes to fixing vulnerabilities. So there's a bunch of things there, but those are operational, right? But in essence, what we are offering to partners is come try out being part of a bounty program, understand what different vulnerabilities are being identified. Uh, and Atlassian will incentivize the security researchers to find vulnerabilities in their applications. At the end of the blitz, you should have a good understanding of what a bounty program is, what are the most important vulnerabilities you need to address. And you will have about uh, a few months, I think we said three months, to, to either fix those vulnerabilities or re-architect your application, whatever, whatever is needed for you to get comfortable to putting your app back into the bounty program. So that's when uh, you come on board to being part of the bounty program itself. Yeah, it feels like, I mean, if one of the concerns is, oh, what if there's giant security vulnerabilities you need to deal with? feels like not knowing about that is much worse than, than knowing about it and being able to deal with it. Like you, you don't want to be surprised by that. Right. That is, that is yeah. true. Uh, that's, that's, I would say sort of the, the thing that keeps us all awake at night, right? Like it's a nightmare. What yeah, is, yeah. is a, I mean, you're seeing it with zoom right now. There is a, there is a lot of, uh, uh, focus on, on cloud software and, and everything. So it's better to know than to not know, not to know about it. So, Hari, by the time this episode of the podcast is published, the application window for marketplace vendors to join the Blitz will have closed. But when can um, the Jira admins or the customers, when can they expect to start seeing results from the Blitz? And what's next? Yeah, good thing you pointed out there. We, we don't plan to publish like uh, 
like individual results of the blitz, like how vendor X performed or how vendor Y performed per se. But what we think of, what we are thinking of doing is come up with sort of statistics uh, and 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 provide information on uh, how the blitz went in general, uh, what type of vulnerabilities were identified, how we have improved the security uh, of of hundreds of apps which which were participa- participating in the blitz per se. All of these uh, efforts around bug bounty programs and uh, the blitz itself. Uh, is is being fed into uh, exposing trust signals in the marketplace for uh, admins and customers to identify apps which are participating in the bug bounty programs. So as these apps which are participating in the Blitz uh, fix up their vulnerabilities and come back into the bug bounty programs, we expect sometime in Q1 or Q2 of next year uh, Atlassian Q1, Q2, whatever that month comes in, <laughs> um, uh, of next year where we start making it uh, or highlighting these apps which are participating in the bug bounty programs in the marketplace itself. So over time, our customers and admins can can view those apps and and, and like think about uh, how in participating in a bug bounty program is important to them and pick those apps which are, which are investing more in security. What's next uh, for the Bhagwandi program? I think we'll be we'll be continuing on getting more apps onboarded to it. Our our end goal, or sort of our, our more than end goal, our dream here is that all apps in the marketplace is part of a Bhagwandi program, right? Like all apps gets to go through some security review process, and our customers can confidently use those apps, uh, keeping aside the security concerns they may have. Uh, that's sort of the vision we are going towards, but it's going to take us a, quite some time to get there. Very good. Well, we look forward to seeing the results of the program. A more secure marketplace is a better experience for everybody. Hari Balasandram, thank you so much for joining us today on the Adaptives Live podcast. Thanks, Ryan. And last but certainly not least, um, I just want to call a little attention to a blog post by our own Ryan Spilken. Hey. And uh, yeah, hey, we know that guy. And John Turley. Um, John Turley is a personal hero of mine. Um, He is who I want to be when I grow up. Um, He does work that is absolutely fascinating for adaptivists. Um, He is very, very involved in cultural transformation, complexity, that sort of thing. Um, And so this blog post is about, it's it's really aimed at managers and how you can support and improved collaboration in your teams. Um, and it goes into a lot of, it, it goes into some of the, the academic studies or books that have been written on some of these subjects, which is, which is always fascinating, but it, it talks about um, finding intrinsic motivation. What is it that actually motivates your employees? Um, what are ways that you can foster collaborative and, and uh, collaborative mindsets and autonomy within your team? Um, I'm already seeing benefits to some of the work that he's been doing with individuals within our organization. Um, I had a meeting yesterday, actually, with some some folks that are higher up than me in the hierarchy, and, and they opened the meeting with, we could tell you how to do this, but we want you to be the decision maker. And that that was just this little relax. I felt relaxed. I felt a weight lift off my shoulders. I didn't have to be defensive about anything. And it was here are my thoughts. And we were able to joke with each other. It was, 
it was one of the more collaborative meetings I've ever been in. And simply because they had framed it that way, of we want to give you the autonomy to make these decisions, which I knew in the back of my mind I had in our culture. <laughs> but it's very hard to get past a lot of what's ingrained into us from previous roles, from school, from we're, a, we're hierarchical by nature. And so getting past that can be a challenge. And so the work that John does is absolutely fascinating. Um, and, and this article goes into you know, ways that you can really try to help motivate people, help build a culture that, that fosters more autonomy and collaboration. It's, it's a short read, but very, very good, particularly if you manage teams. Um, and uh, I highly recommend you check it out. It'll be in the show notes. Thanks, Brenda. Uh, it's also worth noting that John and I have have been collaborating on an entire series of these blogs, and there will be more to come. We've done this is the third of nine, so uh, keep an eye out for those nice. on the Adaptivist blog. Um, and you might have heard my conversation with John on the last edition of Team Titans. And that's it for this edition of Adaptivist Live. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your time. Like it, share it. If you want to, we'd sure appreciate it. Make sure you connect with us on social, too, at Adaptivist. So, for Matthew and Brenda, I'm Ryan Spilkin, and we'll see you next time on Adaptivist Live. Let's jump in with There is no transition from that. We just, we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Great podcast, everybody. (laughs) 